this. I didn't mention this this morning, uh, but uh, when the Lord was uh, leading us in this direction, uh, we began praying about whether God was moving us here or not. And I have a short list of pastors uh, that I call for counsel. And um, first one was my dad, and the second one was Dr. Miller. And the third one's Brother Steve. So we have all three of them here uh, tonight, folks that have been a tremendous blessing to us. So if you like the fact that we're here, uh, thank them. Uh, if you don't like the fact that we're here, blame them, okay? So it's their fault. They gave us counsel, but no, I appreciate these men very much. Glad to have them here. Glad to have all of our visitors. What a great day we had this morning. And uh, isn't it a blessing when God leads people to be a part of the work here? It always excites me when God sends new families, whether we have folks get saved and join the church through that or... We have folks who come to join us from other works because God is building the team here, putting together the body of Christ here to get the work of God done here. That always excites me. So be sure you make our new members welcome, at least for a couple of weeks, okay? You can start acting normal after a couple of weeks, but uh, at least make them feel welcome. But always exciting. Great day. Looking forward to a great service tonight. First Chronicles, chap- Chronicles chapter 15. Let's stand together. We're going to pick up in verse 25. Read down through verse 28. We'll pray and let you be seated. This will be one of the last, maybe tonight, maybe next Sunday night will be the last uh, message in these series of Growing Beyond, just some simple Bible study truths that we've been kind of growing through together as we look forward to the work that God desires to do through us here at Central Baptist Church. And I believe we're going to look at a very important one tonight, 1 Chronicles 15, verse 25. The Bible says, so David and the elders of Israel, the captains over thousands, went to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord out of the house of Obed-Edom with joy. I want you to notice those last two words especially, with joy. It came to pass when God helped the Levites that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord that they offered seven bullocks and seven rams. David was clothed with a robe of fine linen and all the Levites that bear the ark and the singers and the Chenaniah, the master of the song with the singers, David also had upon him ephod of linen. Thus all Israel brought up the Ark of the Covenant, the Lord was shouting, and with sound of the cornet, and with trumpets, and with cymbals, making a noise, with psalteries, and harps. Now look at verse 28 real quick before we pray. We see this celebration taking place. Thus all Israel brought up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord with shouting, and with the sound of the cornet, and with trumpets, and with cymbals, making a noise with psalteries and harps. Pay close attention to that as we pray now. Let's ask God to bless. Father, I thank you for the privilege to be back here again tonight. Thank you for all of God's people that are in their place. And Father, thank you, Lord, that we have a place that we can come. And Father, I'm thankful tonight that you've got something for us. I'm thankful that you have something for me. And I ask you to give me tonight what I need. Give us all what we need. And Lord, I pray we'd be obedient to it. Lord, as we tried to preach this morning, I pray you would help us to see, Lord, the part that we must play in, Lord, reaching the place that you've called us to. Bless this message, Lord, work toward that end. Bless the invitation we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Verse number 28, particularly, in particular, is a very important verse. Because you read verse number 28, you see a celebration taking place as the ark of God is being brought up from the house of Obed-Edom. In verse 25, those last two words describe the mood. The Bible says as they bring the ark of God up out of the house of Obed-Edom, they brought it with joy. Now you say, well, what is, the, what is the significance of that? Well, the significance of verse 25 through verse number 28 is it's a stark contrast of the last time that the people of God tried to bring the ark of God back home. 
And we'll read in just a few verses here back in chapters 12 and 13, 14, around in those chapters that the ark of God was sought out by David, and David desired to bring the ark of God that embodied that presence of God and dwelling amongst his people back to Jerusalem. The Bible says that when David went to get the ark of God, that he did it not after the due order. And as David went to bring the ark of God back, it was a catastrophe that cost one man his life, and it was a sad state of affairs for the people of God trying to bring up the ark of God. Yet now we see just a few chapters later, they are celebrating, the Bible says, with joy. In verse number 28, they are singing, and they're offering praise and shouting up toward God. Now tonight what I'm going to look at is something very important because this picture we see in verse 25 through verse number 28 is stark contrast to the failure that just happened a few chapters before. And oftentimes I believe one of the biggest things the devil uses against us as people of God as we're trying to do the will of God, trying to grow the church of God, that we might hear well done one day when we stand before God, is he uses our failures against us. And he often reminds us of how we've messed up and how we transgressed the word of God and the will of God in the past, and that disqualifies us from being able to fulfill the will of God in the future. And I believe tonight, if we're going to move forward to the place where we're able to serve God, as verse 25 says, with joy, and where we, verse number 28, that we serve God with a spirit where the Bible says they were shouting and they were celebrating the opportunity to bring the ark of God back home, that we're going to have to grow beyond our failures. Now, I'm going to tell you tonight, when, when David went through this trial with Uzzah that we'll see in just a few minutes, uh, Uzzah was the one who was struck dead because of David's disobedience in leading to bring the ark of God back to the city, not in the due order that God had prescribed. David's heart was broken because of his transgression. A man lost his life. Now, that would be hard to get over. Being the reason that someone else lost their life and your disobedience led to a man being struck down by God. Yet we see David serving in verse 25 with joy. I want you to know tonight that brings me great hope. That I can learn and I can grow on from my failures and I can grow beyond my failures and find a place that I can serve God with joy. That I can serve God with shouting. And I can serve God with celebration that we see in verse number 28. So very simply tonight, a very simple thought we're going to be looking at is growing beyond our failures. Growing beyond our failures. Now tonight, if you're, not, if you're not a human being and you've never failed before, you are welcome to go and get early in the line there at Topher's or wherever you're going to go eat supper. But if you're anything like me, you live in a flesh body. As my dad used to say all the time, my, my soul is saved, but my flesh is not. And as the song, songwriter wrote, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. And there are times in my life that I set out to do the will of God and I have good intentions as David had good intentions. David desired to do the will of God, bring the ark of God back, and what a noble cause that was that David had. And yet David messed up and David failed, but I'm so glad tonight our failures do not have to be the end of us. Aren't you glad? We'll look at this tonight on how we can grow beyond our failures. Just have a few thoughts that I want to throw around to you. All right, chapter 15, look back, if you will, to verse 13. If we're going to grow beyond our failures... And have something to tell the devil when the devil reminds us of our failures. We're going to have to learn from our failures. The first thing tonight I want you to notice is I want you to notice the failures of the first attempt. The failures of the first attempt. It's in verse number 13. The Bible says, for because ye did it not at the first. The Lord our God made a breach upon us for that we sought him not after the due order. 
So the first thing I want you to notice real quick, a side point, is that just seeking God was not enough. You had to seek him the way that he desired to be found. We see a big mistake in worship today in America. Listen, I'm not just talking about off-the-wall churches. I'm talking about in Baptist churches in America where we think it's good enough and we seek God. But notice the Bible says we sought him not after the due order. You know the Bible even outlines how we as the people of God are to worship God. I mean, we're writing our own book nowadays on what worship is. The Bible says that we must worship God in spirit and in truth. Notice God's defining how he would desire we worship him. That's the outline he's given us. And David says the failures of the first attempt go back to the simple fact that we sought him not after the due order. Now tonight, if you're going to grow beyond your failures, you need to figure out why you failed in the first place. What do they say the definition of insanity is? Insanity is when you do the same thing over and over again, and you expect a different result. Now, sometimes I think I could probably be clinically diagnosed as insane because, look, I am a Baptist, and I am a traditional guy all the way. But sometimes we need to figure out why we're failing. The reason that David failed is, I believe, the same reason many of us fail in our walk with God is because we're not seeking to do the will of God according to the Word of God. This is where David messed up. He wanted to do the will of God. He wanted to bring the ark of God back. I mean, hey, what a noble thing to do. But the Bible says that he sought it not after the due order. Unfortunately, tonight, this is going to go back to a very familiar theme in preaching. It's the theme of obedience. It's the theme of obedience. You know, we teach our kids the song, obedience is the very best way. You know, I'm not going to sing it for you tonight because I love you. And you don't want me to sing for you. But we teach our kids that song, but I think we forget the song. That obedience is the very best way to show that we believe. Just simply doing what God said. And so often the reason we fail, listen, it's not because we didn't have good intentions. But folks, tonight, good intentions won't get you there. Good intentions won't get you to heaven. And good intentions are not going to fulfill the will of God for your life. You must be obedient to the word of God. David says we failed because we sought it not after the due order. So here's what happened. We'll, I won't take a lot of time on this, but you go back, you'll find out in chapter 13 that God required that the ark of God be carried with staves. The ark of God that be born, if you will. Now, I think there's a wonderful message there that I won't preach tonight. Maybe the Lord lets us preach it again later, but he said, I don't want you to take the easy road and put it on a cart. I want you to bear it. And I want you to carry it. Now, listen close. David decided, you know what, we're going to go get the ark from the Philistines. Why don't we just put it on a cart like they did? And why don't we bring the ark of God back on a cart? I mean, that's easy. Let the oxen do all of the work. Rather than us have to carry it, let's just let the oxen do all of the work. But God told them he wanted it carried. He wanted it born. And I want it drug along on a cart. The Bible goes on to tell us in this account that the oxen stumbled. The oxen stumbled. The ark of God began to shift on the cart. A man by the name of Uzzah stuck his hand up to steady it. Once again, good intentions. Good intentions. Don't let the ark of God fall. I mean, that'd be a horrific thing. So Uzzah reaches up, good intentions to stop it. And when he touched the ark, the Bible says the anger of the Lord was kindled against him. And God struck him down. Why? Because he was not allowed to touch the ark of God. He once again had transgressed the word of God. Now, here's what we need to see tonight. It would be easy to blame the bumpy road, would it not? 
Man, if the oxen hadn't went in that pothole, you know, you, it could have been a road here in South Mississippi, you know, with the potholes that we have. You know, I mean, we were just driving the cart along and it hit a pothole. No, you can't blame the potholes. You couldn't even blame the oxen. You really couldn't even blame Uzzah in the end. Blame David for leading this expedition contrary to what the Word of God had prescribed. And tonight, I want you to understand this. I am, uh, I am uh, uh, very good at failing. I have messed up, and I, I look, I, sometimes I'll be unkind to people. Sometimes I will neglect the will of God. You have sins of commission and sins of omission. You know, not just the things that you do bad. It's the good things that you don't do that you know you're supposed to do. He that knoweth to do good, doeth it not to him to sin. So I, I, have, I have done a lot of failing in my life. So I have some experience here. I can speak to you a little bit about failing tonight. And can I tell you, oftentimes the reason I find that I fail is because I try to do it a different way than what God said. It's exactly what David and Uzzah did. David knew what the Word of God said. He knew what God had prescribed, and yet David decided to do it another way. And I believe tonight, when you look at the church, listen, I do not think we could categorize the church in America as successful. I don't think tonight you could look overall as Christian homes as being successful. I don't look overall that you can see Christian people being successful people. And I mean, I'm talking about in the will of God. And I believe tonight the reason that we lack success is because oftentimes we try to find another way. Can I ask you or implore you tonight, be careful finding another way other than what God has prescribed. Now folks, look, God says what he says, and God means what he says, and all we have to do is what God says, okay? I mean, look, I mean, even a dummy like me can figure that out. You ask my wife, I mean, my wife... Where's she at here tonight? Somewhere around here. Amen. Make sure you're here. Not skipping out on you. I have a nice, comfy recliner back there in my office, and she, uh, she likes to try it out from time to time. I make sure she's not sleeping. My wife's a lucky woman tonight. I know you know that, but I had to tell you just in case you didn't. I tell my wife all the time, don't hint. You know, don't hint. You just tell me what you need me to do, Okay. And so she does. Now she has a list, and it's, we have a metal door there in the carport, and she magnets it to the metal door where I can't miss it. I'm going out the door, and I see it there. Don't hit around. Just tell me what you want me to do. Tell me. The other day, she wanted me to move some things. The washer and dryer, she wanted them swapped. You know, she just wanted them swapped. And, uh, you know, <laughs> something about the doors opening, you know. I mean, she said the doors needed to open, so I guess I moved them around, you know. And so, I, so I did it, didn't I? Amen? I did it for you. And, and I, I would love scratching that off. I love scratching stuff off. Liz, don't you? <laughs> Scratch it through there. And, and then she wanted me to hide the wires from our, 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 our internet box there on the wall because the wires were just jumbled up. So I worked on that and, and hid those things. And it's amazing. She just kind of tells me what she wants me to do. And 50-50, I'll, I'll get it done. But don't hint around because you just tell me what you want. I, I work better that way. God knows I think we all work that way because that's why he gave us the Bible. He just told us what he wanted. I mean, folks, can I tell you tonight, uh, somebody asked me one time, what was the secret to building Bayou Baptist Church? I said, we just tried to do what he said. That was it. You know, I think folks look around trying to figure out, hey, you know, what was this grand scheme of how God blessed this? And why does this couple have a marriage that glorifies God? And how did they make it so long and through the trials and all of this? I believe at the base of it a lot of times is just people being obedient to what God said. David says that our failure was a direct result of not seeking after the due order. By the way, the order was defined by God. So we see in verse, watch verse number 13. The Bible says, for because ye did it not at the first, 
The Lord our God made a, look at that next word, we don't use it a lot, it's the word breach. The Lord our God made a breach upon us. Word breach, we often know it as we see it on, uh, on movies or read about it in history about when there's a wall and the enemy starts to assail the wall and try to break in and they keep bringing that battering ram and they beat battering the wall or they'll bring some kind of explosive device to try to blow up the wall. You know what they're trying to do? They're trying to breach the wall. They're trying to overcome the defenses. They're trying to penetrate the, the, the stronghold that may, they might ransack it. Now the word breach tonight, I want you to think about it in a spiritual connotation. The Bible says because they were disobedient, the Lord our God made a breach upon us. When you look up the word, it literally means this, a softening of defenses. A softening of defenses. You see, when you try and I try to do things other than the way that God defined, we are weakening our wall. We are softening our defenses. And we're providing a wonderful place for the enemy to get in. We see this in the life of Job. Oh, how Satan wanted to get to Job. God says, have you considered my servant Job? The devil says, boy, he's got a wall up around him. There's a hedge about him. Can I tell you how Job built that hedge? Folks, this is good. Job chapter 1, verse 1. The Bible says there was a man from the land of us whose name was Job. And that man was perfect, upright, feared God, and eschewed evil. That's how Job built his hedge. That's why Job had a wall around him. Job was obedient to the will and the word of God. Job honored God with his life, and he eschewed evil. Why, why did Job eschew evil? Things contrary to the word of God. Because Job didn't want to breach in his hedge. The devil couldn't get to him. He says, I can't touch him. You've got a hedge around him. Can I tell you, God built the hedge, but Job provided the material. Job provided the material through obedience and eschewing evil. He feared God. Folks, tonight, when we transgress or decide, you know what? I know what God says, but I'm going to do it my way. You're softening your defenses. You're providing a breach in the wall. And if you're ever going to get to the place where you're successful as a Christian, listen close. You've got to get to the place where you just do what God said because that's what God said. And that's how that wall gets strong. Joshua 1.8, I remember years ago, Brother Heath, years ago when the carpet was green in here. Isn't it neat how you can remember just certain things? And we used to have green carpet, didn't we? It was green because that's all I remember really about that time I preached here was the green carpet. And there was like a burn spot somewhere. Somebody was smoking up here evidently. There was a burn spot somewhere over here. Probably one of the deacons. I don't know. But um, just joking. Um, I remember I preached on Joshua 1.8 in chapel years ago here. Joshua 1.8. We know the verse well. And I want you to think about the first part of Joshua 1.8 and the last part of Joshua 1.8. The first part says this book. And the last part ends in the word success. Notice it begins with this book and it ends in success. There's a lot of things in there about taking heed. This book of the law shall not depart out of my mouth, thy mouth. But thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do. Do you know what that is? That's obedience. Be obedient to this book. You start with this book, be obedient to it, and it ends in success. Folks, tonight, this is not rocket science. I can grow beyond my failures, but I must understand why I failed in the first place. David says the reason we failed is because we sought it not after the due order. Oftentimes, I, you know, as a pastor, you'll have counseling. Folks come in, and I want you to know what a blessing it is when folks seek counsel. 
Never let pride keep you from seeking counsel. I do it all the time. There's three men in this room right now that I've sought counsel to in my life before. Don't let pride keep you from seeking counsel. Well, folks will come in, and I'm going to be honest with you, a lot of times, a lot of our failures just boil down to obedience. Being obedient to what God said. Now, I don't know about you, but I love verse 25, 26, 27, and 28, where David is bringing the ark up with joy. That's how I want to serve. I want to serve with joy. Listen, I don't want to serve out of obligation. I want to serve out of joy. Look, I want to have a life like David looks like in verse 28, where he's serving God. He's celebrating the privilege and the opportunity to have possession of the ark of God. But the key in all of this is realizing why he failed in the first place. The Bible says we sought it not after the due order. Now, here's what's interesting. Why did David choose the cart in the first place? Why didn't he just do what God said? Well, you'll find out when the Philistines took the ark, guess what they did with it? They put it on a cart. David learned the lesson of the cart from his enemy. Now, I, I've, I've never been asked to give advice on war. Uh, I'd be glad to if they ask me, you know, because I have an opinion on everything, like you. But uh, I don't think it's a good war strategy to take advice from your enemy. But that's exactly what David did. He took a play out of the playbook of the Philistines, the people that took the ark from them in the first place. He says, you know what? They did it this way. Why don't we do it that way? Can I tell you tonight, be careful in taking advice from the enemy on how to serve God. So often we see today in the world we live in, so much of our worship revolves around our flesh. It really does. Can we just be honest tonight? Look, we're the Sunday night crowd, right? We, we can agree with this. We can handle just a little bit of meat. It may be like a Vienna sausage tonight, a little meat, but hey, it's, it's meat all the same. Tonight, so much of our worship revolves around our flesh. It's not worshiping in spirit and in truth. You say, where do we get that from? I'll promise you, we got that from the enemy. We're, we're learning lessons from the Philistines. No, listen, that's not how God prescribed it. And we see a church, watch close, that is so much less successful than it's ever been. We've seen small churches in the middle of nowhere turn the world upside down. We've seen revival come from some of the most remote places. Why? Because they were just obedient and didn't borrow plans from the Philistines. We know the story of the Trojan horse. I'll be honest with you, before I can use an illustration, I have to go back and read it and make sure I had the story right. So I went back this afternoon and, and brushed up on it just a little bit. The story of the Trojan horse, we have the, the Greeks and the Trojans, and they had this siege just deadlocked, you know. Finally, the Greeks had this idea that they are going to build this giant wooden horse and pretend like they were getting on the ships to leave. And so they take the Trojan horse and they park it outside of the gate kind of as a, a, a monument, if you will, of who they were and what they could do, and, and they pretended to get on ships and sail away. Well, the Trojans, the folks at Troy, decided, you know what? Why don't we go capture that and bring it into our city? And so they did, and they found out, sadly, that inside the Trojan horse, there was the Greek army, and they overthrew the city. Now, I think there's a valuable lesson to be learned there for us tonight. Be careful what you bring into your city. Be careful bringing in horses tonight that were built by the Greeks. David brought in some ideas that he borrowed from the Philistines. The Bible tells us in James chapter 4, we can see it in verse number 4. The Bible says that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Be careful who you borrow good ideas from. I like good ideas. Twice, maybe three times a year, my wife will tell me that was a good idea. 
Silver Star Day. I'm talking about, I'm walking about two feet off the ground. My wife, man, that was a good idea. There was one week, I think I had two. And I was like, the Lord is about to come back right now. I know it. All is well. All is well in the world. There's nothing wrong with good ideas, but be careful where you get them from. A lot of ideas we have for building our homes, raising our children, building our churches. I don't think we got them from God. Why? Because they go against God's word. Now, folks, be careful tonight borrowing ideas from the Philistines. This is exactly what David did. So what are we talking about? We're talking about tonight being a successful Christian and growing beyond our failures. How do we do that? We've got to figure out how we failed in the first place. David says, we failed in verse 13, for we sought it not after the due order. David says, we did not do it God's way. Can I tell you this before I give you number two tonight? Be careful in trusting things that are precious to things that can stumble. David took the ark of God, the ark of God, and he entrusted it on a cart that was pulled by oxen. Now, folks, tonight, I believe you look at our homes, you look at our church, you look at our country, we've entrusted something precious. Look at our children. And we entrust them to things that can stumble. Be careful tonight in trusting things that are precious to things that can stumble. The second thing tonight I want you to see, turn to chapter 13, chapter number 13. So number one, how do we grow beyond our failures? We notice the faults of the first attempt. They did not do it God's way. The second thing, chapter 13, uh, let's look down if we could to verse number 9. This is in the very midst as they are bringing the ark of God up. Verse 9 says, And when they came unto the threshing floor of Chidon, Uzzah put forth his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. And he smote him because he put his hand to the ark, and there he died before God. So what are we talking about tonight? We're talking about growing beyond our failures. The second thing I believe that will help us tonight is be aware of what's missing. Be aware of what's missing. Now I'll explain. As David set out to do the will of God, to bring the ark of God back, we know he did it the wrong way. David is sitting there reeling that the loss of life of this man by the name of, of Uzzah. So as David looks back on this event, he is looking at what doing it the wrong way cost him. Tonight, I believe the second thing that will help us grow beyond our failures is to look at what our failures cost us. Some people never look up and check up. But I believe tonight what David did, the reason we see in chapter 15... Well, the Bible says, or, or yeah, chapter number 15, that they served with joy. In verse 28, they brought it up with shouting. I believe we see a different picture is because David stopped and he saw what doing it the wrong way cost him. Now, this seems like very simple elementary stuff, but I'm going to tell you tonight, so many of us just keep doing the wrong thing the wrong way and reaping wrong results that we don't like. At some point, listen, by the grace of God, let's stop and let's look at what doing the wrong way has cost us. And then let's make an adjustment. So David turns around and looks and realizes that this journey cost him the life of Uzzah. It cost him the life of Uzzah. Now, watch how, watch how this unfolds. What was David's goal? David's goal was to bring the ark of God back. In the end, not only did he not bring the ark of God back, but it cost him a life in the process. This is what we would refer to as counterproductive. 
There's a lot of Christians tonight that are living a life that's very counterproductive. Not only are they not accomplishing what God called them to, they're losing things along the way. Why? Because we're not asking, hey, what is this costing me? I'll give an example tonight. The Bible tells us, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. The Bible says, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. The reaping is the outcome tonight. The outcome is based on the sowing, okay? The action and the reaction. So if we get to the place where we don't like what we're reaping, we need to check up on what we're sowing. This is what David is saying. It costs a man his life. Now understand this tonight, that disobedience to the Word of God will always cost life. Always. Whether it is eternal or effectual, listen, it will always cost you life. What did Jesus say in John chapter 10? He says, the thief has come but for to steal, to kill, and destroy. To steal your life, to kill your life, and destroy your life. That's what the thief is there to do. But what did Jesus come to do? The Bible says, I am coming that you might have life. You see, all that Jesus tells us and all that he preserved for us in his word leadeth us to life. If we're obedient to what thus saith the Lord, that's leading to life. And yet tonight, we look at the outcome so often, our failures, and our failures are because we left out part of what God told us to do. I had a young man come to my office when we were in Louisiana. And uh, he was just in turmoil in his life, did not have any peace in his life. Just could not find a place where he knew he was supposed to be. He couldn't figure out if he was saved or lost. I'm talking about his whole life was just in turmoil. So I asked the young man, I, I said, can I ask you a question? Are you, are you faithful in church? No, look, I don't have time for that right now. I says, look, the answer to what you're looking for is right there in the word of God. He says, no, look, look, what I need is I need somebody just to show me what I need to do and show me how to straighten this out, and, and then my life will be where it needs to be. I says, look, you're not going to move on and find peace in your life while, while being devoid of the word of God. You're not going to do it. I thought about Psalms 119, 165 while he sat there. The Bible says, great peace have they which love thy law. Great peace have they which love thy law. The word of God, great peace have they. Why? Because you're staying in the instruction manual. God's telling you exactly what to do. You have great peace when you're knowing you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Many times my dad would work out of town and uh, he'd uh, leave me a list of things to do and I'd work on it a little here, a little there. For some reason, cleaning the shed was always one of the things that we seemed to have to do. If I had just realized that, that cleaning the shed was only a result of me messing up the shed, it would have been a whole lot better, but I didn't learn that lesson until later. And I remember that I think I've told, maybe told this story before or, or a, a version of the story before. My dad had an 86 Ford F-150 when he came around the curve there by the railroad tracks in a toolbox in the back of his truck. When he crossed the railroad tracks, that toolbox would hop. Ka-gong, ka-gong. You could hear it from our house. I knew he had about 150, 200 yards, and he was going to turn left at the fork in the road, and there was a little pea gravel there. You could hear his tires. See, I had all this worked out in my head. Toolbox jump gravel slide, and then he would go from asphalt to dirt, and the toolbox would jump again. Well, I'd be out in the yard playing, and I knew that I did not have the list of things done that I was supposed to have done. And as soon as I heard that toolbox jump, you know how your neck gets hot? Does your neck ever get hot? Sometimes when you don't smile, my neck gets hot. I don't know why, but it does that. I'd appreciate you smiling once in a while. 
My neck got hot and hair started to stand up on my arm and I'm trying to clean the yard and finish the shed and all of these things. It was too late. I want you to know I did not have peace in my life at that moment. Why? Because I had not given heed to the words of my dad. I believe tonight the reason so many of us do not have peace is because something's missing. Something's missing and that's taking heed to the word of God. Real quickly, David found that he was missing the joy of the Lord when he transgressed the word of God in the sin with Bathsheba. What did David say in Psalms 51? He says, restore unto me the joy. David is saying, listen, not taking heed to the word of God, being out of my place has cost me my joy. David says, listen, this has cost me too much. This mistake has cost me my joy. And look, I don't want to go another day forward without my joy. So he goes to God and says, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Now, folks, understand tonight the sin that the devil so easily talks us into costs us so much more than we think it does. But if we do not check up from time to time and see what it costs us, we're going to keep paying that price. We see this in the life of Achan. Achan disobeyed the word of God, and it cost Israel a victory. So notice, we look back, it cost David his joy. It cost Israel their power. So often it cost us our peace. Why? Because we ignore the word of God. So if we're going to get to the place where we grow beyond our failures, we've got to be aware of what's missing. And oftentimes it's just obedience to the word of God. James chapter 1, we know this verse well, verse 15. The Bible tells us that sin, when it is finished, what is sin? It's disobedience to the word of God. All right, sin, when it's finished, the Bible says, bringeth forth death. Listen close to how the verse unfolds. The Bible says, every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. All right? But then it goes on to say, then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin bringeth forth death. Now, death, that's the end part that we don't like. So we see sin bringing forth death, okay? But it's those parts in the middle that oftentimes we tolerate. The Bible says that every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. Now, death is not something that we want, but you know what? Lust is something often we tolerate. We, we don't even mind being drawn away. We can tell when the devil's tugging at us. We can tell. We can tell when he's drawing us away, but we can tolerate that. But what we don't see is the end of the row when the Bible says that sin bringing forth death. What are you looking at? You're looking at the cost. Tonight, if you want to grow beyond your failure, you must consider the cost before you pay it. Sin bringing forth death. When you're dead, it's too late to ask, is this something I'm willing to pay for? I remember as a kid, several times I'd go to a store and see something I wanted really bad. I mean, wanted it really bad. I remember when deer cameras first came out. I thought it was the most awesome thing in the world. You know, something to do just scouting for you. I had one of the original. It had a 35-millimeter camera in it with a wire coming out of it. Big Buck Sports in Hattiesburg is where I bought it from. And I remember I walked in there and looked at that camera, and I went, oh, yeah, I need that. You know, I got to get an edge. My neighbor, if it's brown, it's down. Amen? Anybody know anybody like that? Anybody like that? Some of you almost told on yourself. My neighbor shoot everything. Bambi, it didn't matter. He's going to shoot it, run it over. I mean, something. he's going to get them all. So I had to get an edge on my neighbor. Get in there, and we looked at that deer camera. $250. Now, that's a lot of money for me today. For a 16-year-old kid, huh, <coughs> that was insurmountable. I finally realized, you know what? As much as I want that, I can't afford it. 
and I walked away. Now, folks, I want you to understand something tonight. If you're ever going to get to a place where we're successful in the will and the word of God, we've got to be aware of what's missing. And oftentimes what's missing in our life is obedience to the word of God, and it costs us too much. So let's count the cost before we try to build the tower. Let's count the cost of what this decision of disobedience is going to cost us. That way we don't get to the end and realize we couldn't afford it. See this in the life real quickly of Saul. 1 Samuel 13, we know the story of Saul's impatience. Where Saul was waiting with the people, waiting on Samuel to arrive. And I love the fact that Samuel the preacher was kind of running late. Amen. Even the good ones were late from time to time. People began to murmur and the people began to push and rush on Saul. Come on, they began to scatter a little bit. And so Saul made himself. How often do we do that? I just had to. No, you didn't. The devil did not and cannot make you do it. He chose to do it. Saul says, I, I had to make the sacrifice. So Saul disobeys the word of God. He knows that's not for him. That's for Samuel to do. And lo and behold, as it always seems to happen, the preacher shows up right about that time. Man, I want you to know, it's awkward for me too when I see you doing that. Say, so what? What's the thing you're thinking about right now? No, I don't know. Just, I thought I'd throw that out there. Let the Holy Spirit take it. If he takes it, works on it, then let him do what he wants to do with it. The preacher shows up, and he says, what you been doing? I'm giving you my condensed version of the story. He says, I've been doing everything God told me to do. And he says, no, you, no, you've not. And you know you haven't. He disobeyed. He transgressed the word of God. Listen to what Samuel told him. He says, for now would the Lord have established thy kingdom forever. God desired to establish the throne, the kingdom of Saul forever. That's what God wanted to do. But because of Saul's disobedience, God stripped it from him. And he gave it to David. Now, I don't know how Saul felt in that moment, but I believe if you could look inside the heart of Saul... Saul would have told you that this cost was high for disobeying God. But the problem was Saul waited too late to ask that question. If he had just asked that question, what is this going to cost me? I know the people want me to do it, and I know they're getting impatient, and they're getting scattered, and I know we're kind of wondering, hey, we've got to hurry up, but you know what? I, I wonder what this is going to cost me. You'll learn to grow beyond your failures if you'll ask what it's going to cost you. Before it actually costs you. David says we sought it not after the due order. And we look back. It cost us a man. It cost us the life of Uzzah. Now I wonder tonight. I wonder if we're in the midst of a place in our life. As individuals or even collectively as a church. Maybe we get to places oftentimes where we're headed in a direction God doesn't want us to go. And we can either decide to continue in pride. And reinforce our disobedience or pride. Or to stop and check up. And say this is going to cost us too much. So number one, notice the mistake of the, the first go around. And the second thing, notice be aware of what's missing, this cost. The last thing, if you will, go back to chapter number 15. Verse 25, the Bible says, They brought the ark of the house of Obed-Edom with joy. With joy. Now, I, I want to be honest with you. I love the fact that God, I don't believe there's a word in this book that's not supposed to be there. That God took the time to add those two small words at the end of verse 25. They brought the ark of the Lord out of the house of Obed-Edom with joy. Now, what's the big deal about that? Well, the big deal about that is, man, just as 
a couple chapters ago. They were mourning the loss of, of Uzzah. A few chapters ago, it was a, seri- a moment and feelings of heartache and pain. And now they're back on the road. And now they're carrying the ark of God the way it should be. If you look at verse number 2, verse number 2, the Bible says, Then David said, None ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites. <laughs> it's interesting. Now in chapter 15, nobody's having to tell David. Nobody's having to come to David with the rule book. Hey, 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 look here, look here, look here. Oh, no. David is taking advantage of the second chance. And that's the third thing tonight I want to notice. Notice the changes of a second chance. God gave David a second chance. I want you to know tonight that ought to sink down deep in your heart and you ought to be thankful for the mercy and the grace of God that the God that we serve offers second chances. Sometimes third, sometimes fourth, sometimes plan A, B, C. Now listen to me. It doesn't mean tonight that you're going to have the outcome you would have had on uh, on chance number A, but you should be thankful he gave you a chance number B or letter B. Bible says that he prepared a place for the ark in verse 1 and, and pitched for it a tent. And David says, none ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites. I love this. I see David. I see David like frantic, running around making sure everything is exactly the way the Lord said it. He says, hey, I don't know if they had driver's license back then. But I kind of figure David's going up to those guys that are getting ready to carry the ark. Can you prove to me you're a Levite? Do you have your Levite card carrying holder here? Can you show me? You, you got to make sure that you're right. You got to make sure that you're in the will of God. You got to make sure you're what God prescribed. Why? Because David was going to make the changes with the second chance that God gave him. He decided that it cost him enough to do it wrong. He wanted to get it right this time. Now, folks, if we're going to grow beyond our failures, we've got to make the changes when God gives us a second chance. We got to make the changes. David didn't do it the same way the second time. He made the changes from the first time. You see, a second chance is an opportunity to make the first change. The problem is God in his mercy gives us a second chance, and we don't make any changes. We just keep bumping our head up against the wall. Folks, that's insanity tonight. Romans 2, the Bible tells us something that we ought to all take to heart, that it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. You know what repentance is? It's change. That's what God's calling us to do. Change the goodness of God. Where's the goodness of God? That in his mercy, he gave us a second chance. It's the goodness of God. I mean, there have been, <coughs> there have been times in my life where I just knew God was going to kill me. You ever felt that way? Amen. Elijah and the juniper tree just killed me. I am worthless. And just as if you, if you follow on social media the other day, with our schedule kind of getting full, I had to get up here early in the morning to study or stay late in the evening. So I got up early in the morning, come up to the office, and the sun was coming up behind the church building over here. Was that sun began to come up behind the church building, Lord kind of spoke to my heart a little bit about what the Bible tells us in the book of Lamentations. He makes his mercies new every day. He may, aren't you glad tonight that God's not keeping a running tab from Monday to Tuesday? We'd all be destroyed, the Bible says. But God gives us mercy. But wait a minute. Don't miss the point of mercy. Mercy is not just so you can go make the same mistake again. God gives us mercy to make a change. 
That's why it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. God says, I was merciful. Merciful is when God holds back what we deserve. God says, I'm going to give you another chance. I'm holding it back. My chastising hand, I'm holding it back. Now take this opportunity and make a change. David says, it cost me too much the first time to get it wrong. I'm going to get it right the second time. That's why Proverbs 28, the Bible tells us that he that covereth his sin shall not prosper. Prosper is success. It's growth. It is the place that we all desire to be in the will of God. We want to prosper. But he that covereth his sin shall not prosper. But whoso confesseth it, get ready, and forsaketh it. You know what forsaking is? It's change. Make the change. Make the change. You want to prosper? Make the change. Oh, my soul. I wish I could live some people's life for them. You ever want to do that? I mean, I'm not arrogant or nothing like that, but at some point, if they just let me live their life, I think it would be a little bit better than it is. Let me tell you why. So often, God wants to bless and God wants to prosper, but we won't make the change. God says, he that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but he that confesseth it and forsaketh it. Oh, they'll find mercy. I'm thankful tonight that God gives us the opportunity, second chance to make a change. And I, look, if God gives you a second chance, you better make the changes tonight and make that mercy worth it. Mercy is not the opportunity to do it again. We see that in the church of Laodicea real quickly in Revelation chapter 3. The Bible says the church of Laodicea was kind of getting it wrong, to put it simply. The Bible says where they said they're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Boy, they were pounding their chest. Jesus speaks to them and he says, you don't really realize who you are. He says, you're wretched, miserable, blind, naked. Now, I'm going to be honest. If God had said to me what he says to the church at Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, after he finished that, you know, as a parent, you know, there's a temptation before you give your child a whooping or before you scold them or before you time out them or whatever it is you do. Um, Sometimes you try to build yourself up. You got to get yourself in the mood to whoop them, you know. Usually if you're in the mood to whoop them, you probably don't need to, by the way, you know. And uh, I would think God's probably fixing to light me up. You're poor, wretched, miserable, blind, naked. I'm like, here comes a lightning bolt. Just brace for it. Here it comes. But what's interesting is when you read Revelation chapter 3, the next verse he tells them this, I counsel thee. What? Look, there's several times in my life, mom or dad owed me a, a whooping. Rightfully so. I know it's hard for you to believe, but there were times in my life I, I, I needed one. I know, I know my wife don't believe it, but it's true. Well, I'm sitting there, and my dad's going through the spiel that I go through with my daughter. You know you did wrong. Yes, sir. Man, whooping a little girl is so hard for me. I wish I had a son. I could beat the fire out of him, I think, but... <laughs> You know you did wrong? Yes, sir. And I told you, if, if, you didn't, you know, if you didn't do what you're supposed to, I was going to give you a whooping, right? And look, I'm doing this because I love you. The Bible says that God chastens his children, and we love our children. We'll chasten them too. It's in the book. And then my dad would go, but. I don't know if I heard another word after he said that, because I knew once he says but, that he was about to have mercy. God tells the church at Laodicea, Christ says, he says, you think you're this, but you're poor, wretched, miserable, blind, and naked. He says, but I counsel thee. I'm going to give you a chance to make a change. I believe tonight, if we as God's people 
want to grow beyond our failures, the first thing we're going to have to do is realize how we messed up in the first place. It's usually by omitting the Word of God, omitting our obedience to the Word of God. The second thing I think that will help us tonight is get to the place where we look at what it costs us and realize we can't afford to transgress the Word of God. The third thing I think tonight that will help us is to make and take the chance to make the change that God gives us. I read a story about an Idaho teenager. The story goes, supposedly a true story, but who knows? You know, it was on the internet, so I assume it's true, that the policemen were called because they saw this car driving strangely in the parking lot of a Walmart in Idaho. The police arrived on the scene and they watched this young lady, very nice looking young lady, driving this compact car. Safely, she stopped at all stop signs. She yielded to all other drivers at the four ways. But she was driving in reverse. They saw her go out in front of the store, turn into the parking lot, go down the side of the store, and she went around the back of the store, and she popped out the other side. She stopped at all stop signs. She yielded to all drivers. But she just kept, and they watched her for about 35 minutes make laps around the local Walmart in reverse. Finally, the policemen, you know, they had things they needed to do, so they went ahead and pulled her over just to make sure she was all right. They asked her, young lady, can you tell us why you're driving like that? Well, and she began to give it, she was, finally, here's what she says. She says, I just got my license. My mom and dad have given me a mileage allowance that I can go each week. And I asked them, could I go to a friend's house? And I went to the friend's house, but those friends went to another friend's house, and I decided to go with them without my parents' permission. I know when they checked the odometer that they were going to be able to tell that I went over my mileage. So I've been driving around the store the past 30 minutes in reverse trying to wind the mileage back on the odometer. <laughs> Millennials. <laughs> God help us. <laughs> I'm thinking, I love you, millennials. I really do. I really do. You're going to pick my nurse at home one day, so I want you to know I love you very much. Can I tell you tonight, it don't work that way. The miles that she put on the car, they were already there. The only thing now she could do was to go to her mom and dad, confess her sin, and ask for mercy. Ask for mercy. Mom and dad chose to give her mercy, then she would have the opportunity to make the change. Now, folks, we can't change our past tonight. The devil so often would love to remind us of it. Stir those thoughts up. Isn't it amazing how you'll kneel down to pray and the devil remind you of the times you failed? But if you're going to grow tonight to get to the place where you fulfill the will of God for your life, you must grow beyond your failures. You got to. Or you'll never move forward because you're constantly looking back. So how do we do that? Well, we do it the way that David did. We look down, verse chapter 15. David, number one, realized what he did wrong. We sought it not after the due water. David says our mistake was we omitted the word of God. Then David looked at the cost. This cost us someone's life. And if we had just realized we couldn't afford to make this mistake, we maybe have never made it before. And then finally, when God gave David a second chance, he made the changes. And he went on to serve and fulfill the will of God. What are those two words again? With joy. I don't know where you've been and what you've done. God does. Oh, you've confessed it, forsaken it. The Bible says that our sins are under the blood. Aren't you glad? When God looks down, he sees the blood. So if God can forget about them, look, the devil may never forget about them, but we can turn our back to them and look forward to prosperous service to God by understanding tonight that, number one, sin is too expensive. 
We can't afford to transgress the word of God. And by the grace of God, we're going to take the second chance of today. Look, obviously God didn't kill you yesterday. Some of you are like, oh, he gave you another day. And if he wakes you up again tomorrow, take advantage of the chance and let's make the change. Heads are bowed tonight. Eyes are closed. Let's stop there. Heads are bowed.